Welcome in, everybody. It's Eric from the Solar Insights Podcast. We got Tim Tompkins here of the Sun Solar Panel to hear talk these amazing five games about the suns. How you doing, Tim? Good, good. I mean, I'm, I'm sure, like you, uh, just feeling really ecstatic right now that the sun season has started this way. <laughs> it, it, I, for me, at least, it is beyond my wildest expectations of the team, how the team would perform. Yeah, it feels like a dream. You're kind of like, uh, how can this keep up? I've been asking people at work and other places, people who know the Suns, saying, when are you going to feel like it's real? When are you going to say it's real? The haters or the the, uh, skeptics, I guess I'll say. I ask them, when do you think it's going to be real? And I guess I'll ask you the same question. Uh, For me right now. Right now, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so the Suns have played the hardest schedule in the NBA up to this point. Uh, they're top 10, both offense and defense rating. Uh, you look at their two losses, uh, one coming against Denver and Denver, which was a one-point loss in overtime when three of the starters fouled out in the first minute. Uh, and then you go overtime, look yeah. at Yep, uh, in the first minute of overtime, correct. And then you look at uh, their other loss, um, and that was a one-point loss to the Jazz, which you could argue that if the shot clock had been called correctly, <laughs> that they might not have even lost that game. They might have, who knows? But their two losses this season came against two of the best teams in the NBA, and they were both one-point losses. Yeah, so um, definitely there. And this is, I, I think I tweet this every all the time, but like about four or five times a year I say the refs were terrible. Those two games where they lost at one point were two of those games. Like the Suns have, I just looked it up, on uh, NBA.com, like uh, Spectrum, not Spectrum stats, but the regular stats. And the Suns have the most personal fouls called against them um, per game. And it's kind of it's kind of crazy. Like, th- almost every single game, either some combination of Rubio, Booker, or Baines is almost or has fouled out. It's in, I mean, that never, how many times did Booker foul out in his career? Like twice, maybe, up until today? <laughs> yeah, there's, there's an aspect of that that I, do completely agree with you on uh, it especially seems prevalent during the first half of games where the refs are just calling every single ticky tack foul yep. on the signs um, Rubio or not Rubio uh, Devin Booker though with with his fouling issues I it actually doesn't bother me all that much because I just appreciate the fact that he is even trying on defense he's twice as good as he was last year which is twice as good as the year before which now is passable to slightly above slightly below um, uh, kind of average would you say he's with his effort and stuff he's slightly above or is he in that Steph Curry range of passable or is he still hard and level uh, Steph Steph Curry range of passable I, I do think though it has been noticeable how less often he's getting beat on back cuts no one's going to beat on back cuts it's incredible <laughs> Yeah, well, and if they are, then all of a sudden you have Baines that's protecting the paint. Uh, you have the help defenders that are coming over, uh, and, and that has been really, really nice to see. Now, the Suns are still, uh, when the help defender comes, uh, they're the person that's supposed to help the helper, if you will, oftentimes isn't in the right position or boxing out the right person, and so they're still suffering from that uh, a bit this season as much as they were last season, and that's been a little bit frustrating to see, and I, I feel like their defense is going to regress just a little bit, uh, partly because of that, and among their their three point wide open three point opportunities that they're giving to teams that they just aren't hitting and that sort of thing. Um, but the the defense has been incredible so far this season. Yeah, the uh, the uh, rotations are super tight. Like I said, most people are getting, aren't getting back cut. Um, the, also, the steals they're fourth in steals per game. 
um, which does not surprise me based on the week and a half of last year when Upre was playing um, and before he got injured when they played those really good teams and had that really good run. Uh, they were really high there as well. Um, they're just going to get them. Uh, it's kind of funny how well they're doing at that. Um, it's kind of the Jared Dudley active hands, non-active body kind of thing, um, where the whole team as a whole is not very athletic. I mean, you, you would agree with that, correct? Yeah. I mean, uh, it's... The, the, the most athletic player on the team is probably Kelly Oubre, right? It's Oubre and 18 and then, like, a massive drop-off, right? I mean, yeah, and Booker's I'm not even sure fine. I consider Aiton athletic as much as he just has a really nice soft touch touch i mean he lumber he he is like a gazelle kind of running the floor though for someone who's that big i would say but yeah, yeah. but as i mean Ubre is by far the most athletic player on the team and other most players usually have two or three about his athleticism but i think they have i mean they just have upgraded to a much smarter team um the passing um I yeah okay, I don't want to get too many things I don't we can go into the we'll go into the players in a little bit here but I want to keep it a little bit high level at first here, um so they they could be five and zero oh, they aren't um they are kind of killing it I think they're uh, I looked at their uh, plus minus and so they're fourth uh, at three and two which is kind of good obviously two one point losses twenty nine point win six point win over the Clippers which was kind of impressive based on the fact that it was the day after that Nuggets game where they played in Denver and then come to Phoenix to play the Clippers and beat them. Uh, that was a schedule loss. A schedule loss. And, or, or a loss in general and a schedule loss for a good team against a better team, and then they win it. It's kind of incredible. I mean, they're playing they're playing the Grizzlies tomorrow, which they'll probably win, uh, and then they're playing Embiid, and, well, they're playing the 76ers without Embiid, which seems like a win, depending on what they can do with Ben Simmons and Tobias Harris, but... Uh, based on how they're playing, you can't, we can't, we used to be able to do this, right? We used to be able to go through the schedule and say, okay, that's a coin flip. Um, they're going to win half the coin flips, right? Uh, throughout the season. And then uh, the other, uh, 60 games of the year were like, okay, they're going to lose that one. They're going to lose that one. You can know which one they were going to lose. And they'd up, they'd upset five of those games a year. Um, now it's like, uh, I can't even gauge what they're like. They have the best defensive re- rebounding I've seen from the team since I've been covering it, which is like eight years, um, I would say, in terms of what I'm watching. Uh, so it's just kind of incredible what we're seeing, and uh, I'm kind of surprised. Yeah, especially especially by the defense. So uh, on the Sun Solar panel, when we were doing our uh, season preview going position by position where we were ranking uh, the guards, the forwards, and then the centers against the other guard forwards and centers in the Western Conference. When we did it side by side comparisons, we actually had them ranked pretty high. We had them ranked as like a seventh, uh, between like a sixth and an eighth seed when you actually broke it down position by position. Mm. Uh, so uh, in totality, I, I'm not incredibly surprised uh, that they're good, but to your point, I am surprised that they're this good. Uh, yeah. it, and Mino Hassan did, he uh, went on the radio last week and he was talking about how the Suns are giving up a, a very large number of wide open threes, though, and that teams are shooting just under 30% on those. And, and that's going to autocorrect. It's going to autocorrect, too, but also the Suns overall haven't shot the three well during the regular season so far. Um, I mean, I mean the, the Clippers game, they shot, shot pretty well. Obviously, against the Warriors, Booker went off for six of them. But I wouldn't say I wouldn't say they're above average, would you, for what they could do? No, I do. You 
think that well, Rubio having Rubio as your uh, starting point guard is for the most part, I think, always going to make it difficult to have an above average three point shooting team. Uh, if Kaminsky is hitting his threes, that really helps. If Baines now that Baines starting is hitting his threes, that really helps. Um, I, I think that all, basically though, even Rubio, everybody on on the court can shoot the three effectively, but there's there's no knockout lights out shooters. Uh, maybe except for Cam Johnson. I don't know his stats for the season off the top of my head, but just looking at his shooting form, yeah. he's clearly very good at that. People are keeping – they are not covering him. It's hilarious. On the three, it's like, do you know that that's the thing he can do? Um, it's pretty incredible. I mean, have you have you noticed the defensive rebounding um, I mean, change? It's incredible. They don't give up offensive putbacks like very often. Yeah, they've been doing a much better job at, at boxing out. Uh, and, and that's been noticeable in some of the rotations for it. Uh, Javon Carter, when he's on the floor, uh, specifically, I think that he really helps with uh, the defensive rebounding, even if he's not the one getting it. Yeah. Um, uh, do, just to kind of go take a step back for a second, um, what did you have the Suns at in like a wins or your range before the season, and where is it now? Uh, we didn't do. Okay, uh, to answer that, I will say that, so we had it out at like, um, I, I think we had them around 35 collectively between Dave, Greg, and I, mm-hmm. uh, but I did not do where I actually sat game and base that off of like specific matchups. We did do that for the first 20. I don't remember what I had for the first 20, but I had them uh, with a really good record, uh, a winning record over the first 20 games. And so far mm-hmm. that's coming true. That being said, um, I did not have them beating the Clippers. Yeah. I always had them around 35 or so too. Do you think that, I mean, it's weird to say playoffs, right? But like, it seems possible based on the fact that, like you said, hardest schedule in the league, they're have like the fourth best net rating in the league. You don't see a team in the NBA with so much parity right now. They can't really beat, and they don't have a chance of beating on any given night right now. No, and it, it does help that uh, they don't have Joel Embiid coming up. I know that's only one game, but I think all of these games are very important. <laughs> um, the fact that the Warriors, uh, even before the Steph Curry injury, kind of looked like they were trash this season, I think that really helps most yeah. people add them as, as a playoff team. Um, the Timberwolves are... Pretty good so far this season. Uh, the Grizzlies are surprisingly good this season. Um, I don't think that the Jazz quite look as good, but they're clearly a playoff team as well. So there's some room in there uh, to get in, and it doesn't look like it's going to be these teams at the top are definitely going to be the top eighth, and everybody else is kind of fighting for the ninth and tenth spot. Yeah. Um, I think that the Suns absolutely have a chance, and it's uh, maybe it's being a bit homerish. Uh, maybe <laughs> like you, it's just been covering this bad team for so long that any glimpse of uh, them being a playoff team, I'm ready to hop on board, but there's something about it that just seems sustainable, and uh, you and I were both obviously watching the games at the end of the season last year, yeah. uh, and there was there was something there. The national media had tuned out. I think most casual Suns fans had even tuned out at that point in the season, but there was something there that was like, I think they got it. They obviously don't have it for last season. They had already lost, mm-hmm. but this seems sustainable. I mean, it definitely seems sustainable because they have the grit. Like, they just do. <laughs> they just have the grit to make things happen. During, okay, during, there's many times in the last five games where you thought that the team from last year or even all the last five years would have lost the game. It happened in maybe up, six. Right? 
six times in the Clippers game, I would say. Um, uh, do you, th- and then maybe even in the Warriors game, there might have been a time when they would have, a couple times when they would have given that up, that lead up. They already gave up the other 20 points, but they didn't. When you're up by 35, it's pretty easy. 34, it's pretty easy to give up points. I mean, it's, it's, it's really hard in the NBA to, uh, not to keep a 35 point lead or even anything over 20. I mean, not get down to those 10 point game, 10 point leads. Um, but they, they're just, there's time when they don't give up now. Um, it's not just Monty, I think, but it is Monty also. Uh, he just, it's really incredible. I asked this question to someone today. How many games do the Suns have to win for Monty to be coach of the year? <laughs> to be coach of the year? I don't even, I think if he, if he gets them into the playoffs, that he has to be considered coach of the year. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> what the other guy said, and that's what I think too. Uh, and wh- then kind of the same question is executive of the year for James Jones because people trash this offseason and they're eating their words. I mean, I don't. Well, what, yeah. what did, what did you, th- I think the only move that we collectively didn't like on the solar panel was uh, giving up TJ Warren for absolutely nothing because I, I do think they could have gotten something back for that. Uh, and then the other move, which I really, to your point, eating my words on, was Frank the Tank. I didn't really understand the signing. I wasn't impressed with him when I was uh, covering the uh, Summer League down in Orlando when mm-hmm. uh, his, his first year there. I thought his, his shot was too slow. I didn't think he really developed in the NBA. Look at him now, and I was clearly wrong. Well, I was I was talking mostly about the one where people said that the Rubio signing was terrible. Um, well, <laughs> they're, they're, part of that pisses me off, and it still does, because you have these people that keep saying, that keep pushing the narrative. And these are well-informed uh Guys that cover the NBA, that cover the Suns, that are aware of how much a starting point guard salary is in the NBA, and they keep using the term the Suns had to overpay to get him. The Suns did not overpay. I, I what he's like the seventeenth yeah. highest paid starting point guard in the NBA. They didn't overpay for him. And he's they better just, than the seventeenth starting point guard. Right. Uh, I realize that a lot of people were bummed out that they didn't get D'Angelo Russell. I'm sure when they're seeing him this year, I'm one not. of the Warriors. <laughs> right. Uh, I never was. It's, yeah, and there, I mean, Malcolm Brogdon, obviously that would have been a good get and it might have um, even been a little bit of a better fit. But that being said, Rubio brings something to the team that they've been lacking and perhaps Malcolm Brogdon, just from an experience level, couldn't have brought to the team. But also Malcolm Brogdon is like 80 mil, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't even... It's kind of, I mean, his was a, It was like 80 over three or something like that. 80 over four. Yeah, very. <laughs> he's a good player. He's, 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 the rate at which he's assisting this year is, is really astonishing to me because I saw him much more as a combo guard. Mm, yeah, he can he can assist. I, I watch a lot of Giannis is one of my favorite players, so I watched a lot of Bucks games that I could and when they were on. Um, See, so yeah, Brown and Brown would have been better. Um, I was Mike Conley guy. I don't know what happened to him this off season, but I think he'll turn it around. He's too good to not. But uh, he does not look good. It it would be crazy if he never made an All Star team because he it was stacked. And then it wasn't stacked when he became washed. That would be really weird um, to see. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely think Rubio. But in terms of what you said about the other things, I was – Kaminsky for me was a whatever pick. Like, I knew he was fine. He's – and he was – I always thought of him as an, just an NBA player, as you know, kind of non – not out of the league, right? Like, not a Josh Jackson. Um, but also not a top half of your rotation player. Uh, but I was fine with it. I didn't love it. I, th- I kind of agree with other people where 
there's probably a better person you could get. I was wrong on that sense, but I thought he was fine. Um, for the TJ Warren thing, I've somewhat retrofitted, um, kind of rational, I guess more rationalized it. Uh, I can see where both sides come from with that. I, so people are going to maybe tweet at me for this, and that's fine. Um, but I'm probably one of the biggest proponents of Ryan McDonough still, despite knowing that he did make some serious mistakes. Um, I think he was fighting somewhat of a losing battle against Sarver at a wrong time that James Jones gets to reap the benefits of his of his work. Um, I don't I don't remember how long ago you've been starting covering the Suns, but I remember when there was nothing in the asset cupboard whatsoever, um, and that McDonough turned that around. So obviously he had his strengths, right, which is um, getting the right assets. I mean, I when people say McDonough did not do the right thing, a lot of the time I point to the fact that after Markeith Morris demanded a trade outright, he still got a first-round pick for him after he was playing terribly. I mean, there's some things that McDonough did that were pretty amazing, uh, though I obviously getting sometimes getting a trade, it was just obviously the Warren one was not great, right, in terms of asset optimization because they traded for nothing. Though, I agree with people, I think Greg had mentioned this on Twitter as well, is that, like, there was no spot for him, right? Like, there was no spot for KJ Warren. Oubre and Bridges bring more things to the game now than he can at, at, that, and are more versatile. So I think it's just, it's just unfortunate that he had to do that way. I was always a fan of his. I think his three point turnaround was amazing, although I think he's not doing as well this year. And just, it's, it was a weird, weird trade, but overall, the culture and the right players being versatile is more important than optimizing your assets. Yes. Yes, 100%. I completely uh, and utterly agree with you. Uh, on that point, as well as the Ryan McDonough point, um, I, I do think that the, the the process for which Ryan McDonough had the team and, and dealt with asset management, player management, well, asset management specifically, not player management, asset yeah. management, for the most part, was really good. Uh, he just made the wrong picks, whether yeah. it was trades whether it was not understanding uh, team culture, um, not understanding uh, the personnel, the the human side of players. I think he failed on that point, but I do think that he was wildly successful in in building the war chest, to your point, and getting those draft picks um, and getting Phoenix to where it is now. And to me, it is too bad uh, that he was never... uh, able to see the reward for all that that work that he did at the same time i do wonder how because you'd mentioned he might have been fighting a losing battle against server and part of your job as a leader as an executive is to be able to uh push the company whoever you're leading even if you have somebody above you but your job as a leader is to be able to push them in the right direction whether that's a, a, a coaching hire or um who to pick at number one, you know, <laughs> what, what, whatever the case might be, that that is your job. Um, so I do not think that he was very successful there. Uh, but I, I did like him. Uh, that being said, James Jones, what he's been able to do with the culture is something that I don't believe that Ryan McDonough could have done without locking into it. Yeah, I agree. I think, I think that's why Sarver brings him in, right? Um, however, he brought him in in this kind of dual role to now he's a GM, which we kind of all saw coming. Um, but also, 
I, I think I just thought this as you were saying that. I think Ryan McDonough almost thought of. I mean, maybe obviously putting words in his mouth, but from what I'm seeing, maybe he thought that the culture was on the coach, and they bring that, and he just supplies the right players. The coaches well, input so, on, but he maybe. hired the wrong coaches. Well, that's also true, <laughs> um, and that's why that's that's where he failed, right? Because thinking that it was on the coach, brought in a coach or Watson, for instance, who is a great motivational person, right? I mean, I would listen to his stuff and I'd be like, "I'll play, let me suit up," and but then like not good at basketball coaching, apparently. Um, I mean, if you, if you and I could easily have coached that team better than he could, I think. But then again, I mean, but we understand basketball, and I think he does too. Uh, but it's just there's there's more to it. There's more nuance than people want to give sometimes. Um, but there's also sometimes simpler things like I I don't know if you've heard me, me have this take before. I've been saying this since 2013. People build the teams the wrong way often. Um, tanking does not work the way people think it does, or at least as well as people think it does. Uh, I have said since the beginning that they needed to do what they're doing. Finally, I was so happy when they did this. You bring the veterans, you only um, uh, do player development on two to three players a year. They're finally doing that, and they're actually good. I mean, I knew that the we, we kind of lauded the Bender and Chris signings, but I'm like, at the time, they were still developing Booker. They're still developing Len. Good, good one. I don't remember. It's been so many of them um, that haven't worked out. But they were developing five, six of them at the same time. And I'm like, and I actually asked this question on the pod. I literally remember it. Ask somebody, do you think they're doing Chris? I think it was Chris a disservice by playing him so many minutes. And whoever it was said, uh, "No, I think that getting they have to play in the fire and they and they have to that they need the minutes to get good." And I'm like, "You can teach player development off the court." I'm literally I'm a player development coach. That's what I do. And I you 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 do someone disservice because they lose confidence or they they get destroyed too much. Um, they learned some lessons. That's why it worked. Like it worked for some people, but you have to have a culture and set and the right veterans and enough of them that are good enough to make that happen. And if you don't win, it's not, it's going to do everybody a disservice. So now this year they have Cam Johnson, Ty Jerome, both good older veteran, older ones, which is why they, it's seamless. Um, but it would still work if they weren't. And then Booker's done developing right by the, uh, metric of young player. You got Aiton and Mikael Bridges. Be, uh, he's got a max contract. True, but also what I mean is, like, despite him being just turning twenty-three, he doesn't really count on the list of players you're developing, right? Um, the list is only four people: it's Aiton, it's Bridges, it's Tyrone and Cam Johnson. Um, you would you would probably not include Javon Carter in that, probably because of the the, the amount of money, how high a draft pick they were. In a sense, he's really should be the fourth guard, right? So, uh, and not counting him for those purposes. What do you think of all that? Yes. <laughs> I, no, I, I completely agree. Uh, and part of what's always, what I've always wondered about too, with the, the failure of Ryan McDonough is the player development side mm. and how much if Ryan McDonough had a better grasping player development or he had hired people that had a better grasping of player development how you want to look at it yeah really uh how much different would his legacy be in phoenix yeah because i mean he's gonna get another shot um i think uh 
whether it's probably in, I'd say two years, um, at a GM position, I'd say. Uh, but like, you're right. How is he looked at? How does that has to be the right person to give him the job because he didn't, wasn't successful. Just like Daryl Murray, like, right, he's going to get another job for the rest of his life because of how well he's done. But he's swung the fences at the time and the whole ownership over there. That's a different question with the ownership change. Um, but back to the Suns, yeah, it's, it's just really interesting to see the differences between that. Player development is interesting, right? It's, the, the Kawhi Leonard doesn't become Kawhi Leonard in, unless he's in the Spurs during the right years. But, how good does he become on the Pacers? And then again, how good does he become on the Lakers? And like, how you, you just, there's two more circumstance and stuff, and people get blame pinned on them all the time, right? I mean, yeah, people get blame pinned on them. The, the, the biggest example of this is Marquise Chris and Draymond Green talking about the Suns. Yes, obviously they did not do him a, a, enough player development to make him a certain level. Based on watching him play, watching everything, listening to everything, I don't think all but maybe two or three teams could have gotten him to a level that his draft ranking or draft at number eight would have warranted. Do you agree? Um, I don't know if I would go that then. On it, uh, but you could also look at Josh Jackson. That was we all lauded that as like the best pick, right? Number four. No, that's what we no, wanted. I, I, I wanted De'Aaron Fox and Jason Tatum ahead of uh, Josh Jackson, but I thought Josh Jackson was going to be a good player. Yeah, uh, I was worried about a, a few things specifically with him that ended up coming to fruition, and uh, it, that's not who I wanted the Suns to take. Uh, again, my opinion on who the Suns should take doesn't really fucking matter. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, but he still should have been. A better player than he than he turned out to be at this point in his career. His creation was better on offense, like his uh, playmaking or whatever. But his defense was so much worse than I thought it was going to be. It's incredible. And, and shooting was just as bad. Uh, I was not aware of how often he missed dunks. Hey, he doesn't miss and, him as much as Alex Len or Chris, so he's well, trying. <laughs> Alex, I will always be a bit of an Alex Lynn stan, uh, and that's because of this. The, so the Suns draft Alex Lynn really high, Fifth and then year. yeah, first year of Ryan McDonough, and he, I actually Alex Lynn was probably the right pick there. I mean, I don't have the draft pulled up in front of me, obviously. Well, that was a like terrible draft in general. Yeah, it was. A, it was a terrible draft. You could go into the teens. Um, I think C.J. McCollum was was that draft as well, but uh, with Alex Lynn, so they draft Alex Lynn really high, and then they go and sign Tyson Chandler to this really long contract. Um, never really bring him along, never really uh, develop him. Um, I still think he could have been a serviceable backup big, and I think he's a serviceable backup big now. He shoots threes. He shoots threes. He's. I mean, defensively, he was never a bad player. Yeah. Uh, offensively, he wasn't great, uh, but again, the the bigs only going to be also as good as the point guard. So you draft these bigs, and then you don't put them with anybody that can get them the ball. It's the same with a lot of the criticism for DeAndre Ayton last year is they didn't have anybody that could get Ayton the ball. Uh, Josh Jackson was trying to force some lobs up to him, and that wasn't <laughs> going very well. Uh, but your bigs need to have players that can get them the ball because they simply cannot do it themselves. That's so true, and that's I mean that's why Rubio is such a revelation. 
I mean, he's the best point guard since Nash, for sure on the Suns. Like, people say Dragic and uh, um, Bledsoe, but Bledsoe was not a passer as much as... No, well, Bledsoe, Bledsoe was kind of trash. Uh, <laughs> he was good for a little bit there. Yeah. As a playmaker, though, yes, you're right. Yeah, he's uh, he's not a very good shooter, an overrated defender, uh, injury-prone. Uh, fades away in big moments. Um, you know, thankfully for him, there weren't very many for the Sun. So, uh, you know, that wasn't as clearly evident. Uh, I, I would say that I probably think Dragic is a better player than Rubio, but Rubio is one of my all-time favorites in the NBA. And I was so ecstatic that the Sun signed one of my favorite players because yeah. that has literally never happened. Also, is uh, Baines like a superstar now or something? <laughs> <laughs> Baines? Baines was always good. Uh, he is my favorite part about watching Aaron Baines is anytime there's a foul or he misses a shot, him just like mouthing cuss words right after <laughs> walking, <laughs> and he does it every time. I'm like, I just love a guy that cares this much. Yeah. Um, one of my favorite parts about so far, well, Aaron Baines is really awesome. I just remembered something else that was kind of because of Aaron Baines' reaction. Uh, one of my favorite parts of the season so far is when Booker had that turnaround, I think from a Baines pass, and then fouls out Beverly on a fadeaway and then starts trash talking. And the Suns are, but it's not because the Suns are down 20 and started making some shots, because they beat the Clippers, who are good. And people are just like, hey, the Clippers will win the championship. They're the best odds. And yet, obviously, you know, Paul George, I think that the Clippers are still one of the best teams in the NBA. Um, with Paul George, like they could be the the one seed. They're it's very so possible. Deep. They're so deep. Lou Williams will get buckets forever, and with Harrell and like everybody else they have, it's just like they're they're so deep, and they're just they're gonna maul people for the, for like from January to March, right? They're just gonna win so many games. It's just incredible when everybody's tired and they're just deep and they're just mauling people. They, they have plenty of trade assets. I mean, not not actual picks, yeah. but players. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they have no, they have no picks for the next right. decade. Basically, <laughs> they do obviously because of the, the stipend rule. But uh, they, I, well, weren't some of those uh, weren't some of those swaps? I mean, you can do some swaps, but there is still a, quite a limit on how you. I mean, you can't I believe you have to have a first round pick in back to back years. Or no, no, not no. In every other year, now you can swap them, but you can only going into the year. You have to have a first round pick in back in every other year, or something like that. A uh, first round, yeah. So you can't swap a first round for a, a second round. Um, but if the if the, the the team um, opts to trade uh, their number twenty eighth pick for your number one pick, uh, that can happen. Of course, so, yes. Uh, right, so it's uh, they're not set up well for the future, uh, but that doesn't really matter. Yeah, you they don't have not, that many op- really opportunities to, to win championships. And then once you do win a championship, uh, it changes the entire perception of your franchise. They're mm-hmm. also in L.A. It's a great place to live. It's a great place to be competitive. They have an owner that doesn't mind spending money. Mm-hmm. He's kind of an idiot, but, uh, you know, he's, a, he's like, why? He's a fun guy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and so, I mean, yeah, so exactly. And... So that's that, and Suns. What else? What's okay? I'm kind of, I'm kind of scared about Mikael Bridges. What do you think? <laughs> uh, not worried at all. 
Uh, early in the season, new system, he's not really getting a lot of playing time, and I also think that Mikel Bridges isn't the type of player that is going to go and is going to put up a barrage of stats because that's just not... He's, he's uh, a low-usage player. He doesn't really have the ball in his hands a ton. He plays good defense, but he's just not going to go out there and get you uh, 20 and 10 or 13 sure. and, and 5 on, on a regular occasion. But he's a guy that uh, can switch uh, multiple positions. Uh, he is a good shooter. He's a good cutter. Uh, not nearly as worried about Mikael Bridges as uh, I think that the general Suns fans are. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm, I guess I'm not worried in that sense, in the sense of like, oh, man. He's going to be a bust or something, but more of like, I I think along with some people, I want him integrated more. Yeah. Um, though Ubre is like, I just love that they. I said this in off season that Ubre is the most the person they've needed to resign the most in the last decade. Like the player that they like, they had to resign him, had to do it, and they did. And I'm really really happy that they did. He cuts really well too. I don't know if you probably noticed that he cuts real well. Uh, it was a great signing, and I'm just incredibly thrilled as you are that he's playing as well this season as he was at the end of last season. Yeah, I was so bummed that he didn't make that um, three pointer, that super open three pointer in the corner uh, for that game. Nobody, but, nobody talks about it either. So that wide open corner three, um, I, I trying to remember. So uh, the book had tried to go the last game that they lost. Uh, and forced a shot even when Tyler Johnson was wide open. He had two or three defenders on him. Uh, learned his lesson, passed it to a wide-open Oubre in the corner. Oubre misses that three, and the Suns go on to lose the game. And uh, that would have been, the, the obviously, the difference between the win and the loss. Um, but that is a great thing to point out because nobody talks about that wide-open miss. In what, in what way? Because, I mean, he's not like the greatest three-point shooter, so it's not like an aberration, but he makes a couple a game, one or two. He makes impact. So it's not like I'm not blaming Ubre for the miss, but I, it's noted that I wish very many other people were in the corner at the time. <laughs> he's I, I don't have his shooting stats right now from, from the corner, but he's a respectable three point shooter. Should have, should have, should have made the shot right there. Uh, it yeah. was, it was definitely disappointing that he did it. You aren't going to make every shot. It's hard to get a better shot. Uh, for your chance to win a game, though, than a wide open corner three. I think Ubre from from um, and anecdotally from watching, I think uh, he's better on the on the wings for sure than the corner. Um, do you do you think he's a Misfits fan? Misfits. Yeah, he has a Misfits tattoo. You think he's a big old Misfits tattoo on his thigh? Oh, I didn't see it. Those quads. I was wondering, like, I wonder if he's actually actually a Misfits fan, because I'm not in Phoenix, so I can't interview these guys, and whenever <laughs> I want to go, I get offered credentials, but I don't want to work, so I just want to go and like have fun during yeah. beer. Uh, so the, the next time you're there and you do have credentials, please I ask don't. him if he's actually... Yeah, ask Helen. I should. I mean, if I had the ability to get to the games every day and uh, get up and down all that energy, I would go, but I, it's too hard for me. Um, but I wish I could. Um, and yeah, i definitely tell Kellen and some other people for sure, because that's an interesting question. Uh, for sure. Who else have we not talked about? Well, I want to ask you about, what have you thought about Monty Williams' rotations? Um, so I've always been on on board with the people of Bridges to start so that Kelly can be on the second unit. Um, that is less necessary as Booker, uh, Monty's done the good thing about 
uh, splitting up uh, Rubio and, and Booker as much as he can. Um, so that's not as, as important with that because the second you need creation. Um, also, Uber has played well enough defense, and overall they played well enough defense that that hasn't manifested as a problem. Uh, so I, I like that. Do you have any other specific, like, I mean, it's interesting when they have to play Kaminsky and Sarge together. Um, I don't think it's as bad as, I don't think it worked well the first couple of games, but the more that it goes on, it's, it seemed, uh, like they actually play fairly, fairly well together on, on the defensive end. And, Charge is a pretty willing passer. For sure. Uh, I, I I watched Charge in other years. I, was, I thought he was a lot more athletic than it looks like he is when I watched him for extended periods of time. He looks like he's kind of like breaking his hip as he's trying to like move. Um, but he's, I mean, but he passes, he shoots, and he plays defense, and he's smarter than most NBA players. Like, he's over above average, I would say. Um, so I like that about him. He's tough. Um, he rebounds well. So Suns have not had a power forward like that. In a long time, I mean, Mario did most of that well. Better, everything else better than Sarge, did, but not defense. So, um, it's been a while since they've had a power forward that did all those things at a passable level. Yeah, I, but when's the last time Markeith Morris? Did he play defense? <laughs> I think I think he was. I think he, if I remember correctly, he was all right. He was okay. He he was more the, the same thing with the Harden. Um, Harden and Westbrook do the same thing as, as Morris did, um, where you are okay on ball, especially in... Right, but you, in, aren't, you aren't coming over and making it the extra effort. Yeah. But, like, like it's a bad idea to post up Harden. But it's, um, like, you want to put your guy... Like, if Steph is on Harden, or Harden's on Steph somehow, and he's relocating, he will lose him nine times out of ten. So, off ball, they're terrible. On ball, they're decent. Same thing with Morris and and and. Not Sar- that's why Sarge is not that because Sarge will find his man, he will find a body to box out, he will get the guy in the corner despite apparently more physical limitations than I thought he had. Uh, but he but that him doing that, uh, Kaminsky is better than I thought he was in terms of defense. Um, being able to post stop the post up, obviously, six eleven, seven foot, uh, can do that. Um, I wish he would shoot more right off, right off some of the. He doesn't shoot right when he should sometimes off the catch. Yeah. Um, same thing yeah, with Sarge. He does. He's got a real slow release, too. Sarge is a slower, though, I would say. Yeah. Um, but in terms of rotation, do you have anything else in terms of rotations I want to answer, ask, answer the question? Well, I also wanted to know uh, what your thoughts are on when Monty calls times out, timeouts. Uh, are, are, have you been pretty happy with it? Um, yeah. He So as, as someone else has noted, and I... I, I after the rotation, kind of along with it, I, I've noticed it as well. He doesn't let anything get out of hand. He doesn't let any momentum go. He doesn't let them play through it. And I think he will eventually start letting them play through it once they earn that right, almost. Um, he, he calls them pretty fast. Um, I mean, he called a couple of them during the Warriors game to make sure they didn't get out of hand. Uh, he, he called them during the Clippers game, for sure, when they were making any run. Uh do you think that's a, a sign of of g- a good play by a coach to do that, or that it's um, overly conservative? Uh, it might be overly conservative, but I think he also has a pretty good understanding that he's coming in and taking over a team. May it be only five of the 15 players are the same, but he's taking over a team that has 
uh, a culture of giving up. Yeah. The propensity, the propensity to lose a game that is winnable has been in the Suns. But the, one of the, and that, the, the one of the surprising things is how well the Suns have played with one of the least con, con, continuity in their lineups. I mean, the Denver Nuggets had the most, and I think the Suns probably had one of the top, I mean, they were probably bottom five in continuity, correct? So uh, I mean, when you're getting, I can't really, you know, I don't, I don't pay nearly as close of attention to the other teams, but it, off the top of my head, I don't know another team that turned over two thirds of its roster during the offseason. The Lakers. <laughs> uh, yep, the Lakers. There was a point for the, those who obviously Tim knows, but there's a point during the during the offseason when the Lakers had three two players signed, Anthony Davis <laughs> and LeBron James, and then Dar- Dudley came, and then. Seven people got signed in six hours. Uh, JaVale McGee, right? Uh, he's back. Uh, I think he's Rondo. back, but I think he might have. I think they both, they're all in one year deal, so they got signed in that seven hours. So they right. weren't signed w- during a, a day in July. So uh, they had all the young guys from the Anthony Davis trade, sent them all out, and then for at least an hour or two, they just had two players. <laughs> it was hilarious. But yes, other have, than them, maybe the Suns have one of the least continuity. Are, are the Lakers fun? I haven't had a chance to watch them. I watch them a little bit. Um, they're good. They're good. They post up a lot from what I've seen so far. They're posting up LeBron and Anthony Davis taking turns. I just read today Anthony Davis is tied with somebody for the most um, post ups in the league, uh, and they're doing well. I was in Zach Lowe's in Zach Lowe's article today. Um, so the Lakers are good. Uh, they have Troy Daniels and they have Jared Dudley. They shoot okay. Um, I can't wait to see how the Suns play against them and the Spurs. See what this new team is. Also, uh, Suns, Spurs, I mean, Spurs and Lakers, the two nemesis. So I just can't wait them, for them to destroy them. But, <laughs> uh, I mean, as you probably remember, the best week of my, in a while, than most of my life here in terms of sports is the week that Durag destroyed the Spurs. So that was a great, great week. Um, but yes, yeah, the Lakers have been fun. They've been fun. Uh, who else is fun this year? I don't know. Dude, I haven't seen enough games, I guess. It's only been five games. I only see so many National and Suns games that you can, so. Uh, who else? Okay, Jawan Carter. <laughs> what do you think about Jawan Carter? Uh, dude's a bulldog. I really enjoy watching him play. He seems like the type of player that I'm surprised he's getting quite so many minutes because he's almost matching Rubio. Yep. He seems. I understand why Monty plays him so much. Uh, I think it'll be nice when uh, Monty has more options. Yeah. Uh, in the lineup, though, because he he seems poised for just having games with no production, even though he's playing really great defense. And I, I think if you have a guy out there at point that it, it's just a position in which you have to produce. Um, I. I'm not a huge fan of him running the offense by himself. And I've been a bit disappointed that uh, in lineups with Carter and Booker, that the ball isn't just in Booker's hand coming up the court. I Yeah, I agree with that. I was very surprised that uh, Tyler Johnson is not playing point guard in those times. Um, when and Ty, and then, well, I mean, I'm just saw because Ty Jerome's injured. If Ty Jerome was not injured, he'd be playing these minutes. Um, Maybe. I would say so. I mean, they wouldn't have found... Like, Javon Carter gets, like, more... He obviously, he's a bulldog in general, but I think you only find out how amazing, like, in these bigger minutes when he gets... But you're so right. 
that I don't want him running the offense. I mean, the ball sticks with him more than any other player on the Suns right now. It's not point five offense. Yeah, I mean, and you watch, there was one where it was a, like a reset, and he hesitates, and every all the defense comes back to, to Hanna. They had the advantage on a reset, and he just hesitated and then, like, drove it himself or took it a fadeaway, too. I'm like, if you do, don't do that again. Um, but then also, I like, could just, Tyler Johnson sh- should be playing a little bit more on ball when Booker and Rubio is not in there, uh, unless Ty Jerome is in there, I would say. Yeah, I didn't see... Uh... Obviously, I, I watched uh, Ty Jerome in the, in the preseason. Um, I didn't have the same affection for his game, mm-hmm. I'll put it that way, that I think a lot of Suns fans did. But I don't really know what to make of it because I just clearly I did not see enough of the sample size mm-hmm. with it, and it was also a point in the season in which we talked about on the show two thirds of the roster had been reset, where I was trying to watch a lot of different players yeah. uh, all at once. And there's only so many that I can hone in on. So if I miss something about his game, that's very possible. And I'm sure he's a really good player. But I'm not quite as high on him right now uh, hmm. as some other Suns fans are. And I apologize if you can hear my dogs barking in the background. You're, you're good. I can't hear it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, for Ty Jerome, like, I probably saw him in Virginia during the during the tournament because I usually watch some of the tournament. Virginia would be one of those player teams. Um, I watched him in the preseason though, and I watched a bunch of that, and I would say he has a smoothness to his game, um, that is his Ricky Rubio like, right? He is going to find, he's, a, he has a great vision, um, in that sense, so he is, well, he doesn't, probably doesn't have the, he probably is a slightly better shooter than Rubio, but a much worse, or a worse defender. Um, so he's, he, what he can do is replicate the playmaking in a sense that something that Javon Carter and uh, Tyler Johnson can't do. Okay, so that's, that's the goal. And, and it gives a level of, it just, it's smooth. It's smooth. That's what I would say. Yep. Well, people are clearly high on him. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming that's, that's for a reason that I just did not pick up on when yeah. I was watching a play. Yeah. And obviously it's like, we want to see when it's fully healthy going after this going uh, through this um that we wish everybody's healthy to see what the rotation should look like that's what you hate when people are well that's as a coach i mean you probably coach at some level before you hate when you don't have a full roster because you don't know what your rotation should look like you're trying to survive minutes um with the players that are fine or okay um, well, that, well that's the thing about the eight injury or not injury uh, <laughs> the, the yeah. suspension too where i actually think it's it's fine uh, from a winning basketball games right now standpoint having Baines uh and having Frank Kaminsky and having Sharage all kind of share those like backup five minutes but uh knock on wood they don't need an injury to any one of those guys yes that would be that would be not good um yeah I was about the next thing I was transition to was I can't believe we've gone this far 47 minutes of this podcast without talking about Aiton um so do you think I mean I don't think there's a chance but do you think there's a chance that it gets uh, reduced at all uh, I I don't know. It, it, it's it's such a it's such a long, it's a really long suspension. My immediate reaction uh, when I heard about the news, I was actually in Boston, and I was talking to my girlfriend. I'm like, well, that means that we don't have a chance of making the playoffs. And that's that's just no Aiden lost season. It's a real shame. Uh, I know that the players' association is appealing it. I don't know. 
I think yeah, I think there's a s- small chance that after like eight, eight, nine games, they say, "Oh yeah, you're good after ten, but I doubt it. Um, like so, as you say, it felt like a lost season for the viewers. That was because it was a uh, uh, announced the day after the Suns won the first game of the season, twenty nine point one against the Kings, which seemed unsustainable based on last year's uh, blowout of the Mavericks, and then they went on to lose a lot of games after that. Uh, so. It makes sense that it would feel like a lost season. I didn't. I, I apparently, according uh, among all the other Suns fans and writers, I didn't feel as much, um, uh, a much of a hit. Mostly just because I still, despite viewing him as, I guess, technically the second best player, is he? I don't know. Uh, or we at least we want him to be the second best player. Uh, he's still a second year player, so I, I was hoping we didn't rely on him too much anyway. Uh, and then it's, that seems to be proven out here. Um, now I obviously want him back because of the depth that you mentioned. And as others mentioned, has mentioned, have mentioned, uh, his, his ability to be big, be athletic, um, is something that Bane, Sarich, and, and, uh, Kaminsky just do not have. And it brings another look when they have to go play certain teams. Well, so. That and being big and be able to, being able to get putbacks is something that it looked like he was going to be particularly good at this season. Uh, And you'll see it occasionally uh, with some of the other bigs on the floor, but it's, it's pretty rare that they get a pullback. Usually they get that offensive rebound. Sometimes they try and and put it back up. A lot of times they just pass right out of the post, whereas Aiden would just put it right back in. Yeah. I mean, the, the, I've seen all, all all the, in these five games, all Bain, Saric and Kaminsky putbacks are because they had a good position and there's nobody between them and the glass. Mm-hmm. They can put it up. Although, yeah, I love seeing a little bit of Frank Kaminsky from Wisconsin in, in some of these games. He gets the guy in the post. Good footwork and uh, good positioning there. So let's wrap it up here with kind of a general looking forward here. I'm pretty excited because I actually have a reason to be anxious about Suns games. Um, I've always enjoyed them. I hear that Fox Sports uh, opening music and I get very happy because I'm like, we got two hours of bliss here regardless of how well they do, just because I like player development and I like NBA basketball, especially some basketball, as do you, I would assume. Um, but what I would, I'm just really excited about this, about this year. Uh, it's pretty, pretty obvious that the Marley Hustle Award is going to be Jawan Carter, uh, mm-hmm. if, if, if he stays on long enough, which he probably will. Um, and where would you put their win total now as your prediction? Gotta ask it. Well, let's see. I'm on your podcast. Ooh. Not mine. Uh, so that means that I can be as much of a homer as I actually want to be. Ooh, am I, uh, am I, is my podcast known as being a homer podcast? No, no, no. But being the host of a Suns podcast, and I'm sure you get a hard, uh, a hard time with this too. If, if your takes are too positive, people just call you a homer. They don't often say that about the guest though, mm. right? They usually say that about the host. So, uh, I'm going to go with 45. On it, I just I feel good about this season. I feel good about this team. Um, I think that they have the fortitude to win. I think that Devin Booker looks like uh, he's turning into the max player that we wanted to see, and he actually has an ability to win a game um, and not just put up points. And I don't think it was his fault in the past; more just um, you know, situation of uh, circumstance. And you know, it's a, it's a five-player game. So I'm gonna go 45, and I feel okay about it. I would be, I would be 
pretty surprised if they were not at or around 40, though. Yeah, I was, as you're saying that, I, 45 sounds right, like, I don't want to just copy. I, I, would think, I was thinking probably 42-ish before, like, the last couple days. Um, I was thinking, obviously, 37 before the season started around there. Um, and now with, I mean, 45 sounds good, 43, 42, somewhere around there. Uh, although then you think about that, that's not really the playoffs, is it? Um, because I mean, the Suns didn't make the playoffs in 2013 with 48 wins. Well, what was it last year? It was 46 that, that, uh, got the eight seed in? Sounds, I mean, 46, 47 around there, yeah. Um, I would say. I haven't, I don't remember it too specifically. Well, that's true. They're getting 50. <laughs> they're getting 50. Um, and that, see, 50 sounds high to me, even, even if they're playing so well. But then again, we are in condition to even remember what that looks like <laughs> on the right. Suns team. So we, we don't really know. I'm just really excited to watch because every game matters. Uh, they actually have a reason to be good. And now they're going to play some not as good teams and have some blowouts. Um, I am excited. One of the things I'm most excited to see is, do they have, or are they at least less frequent, the trap games where they don't play hard or enough people don't play hard that they lose to a team they should beat, which yeah. you haven't said about in 10 years, five years. Yeah, I I don't think there's a ton of, although I believe in this team, I don't think that there's a ton of teams where they're going to go to the floor and just say, we don't even have to try to beat this team. Yeah. It, it, it seems like they're well aware of how many games they've lost uh, and at this point seem hungry to prove something. I th- yeah, I think it's not that before, I mean, because in the years past, it wasn't like they never had that mentality, but they had the mentality of we're just not going to play hard tonight. And it was never, it's obviously, I mean, knowing players and player development, it's never a conscious decision. It's it's uh, the factors no, sure, in your sure life. Oh, absolutely. You think it's a conscious you, decision. You've you, you played some the competitive basketball. I'm not saying professional basketball, but competitive basketball. Uh, your team is, is down by uh, 10 points. Um, and if you're just playing, uh, you know, pickup, uh, but competitive pickup, you know, maybe a tournament or something, yeah. um, that's the point which you're like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try as hard. Uh, there's matchups when you go out there on the court, and you're like, ah, I'm not gonna break my back for this one. <laughs> yeah, so I, in that sense, yes, yes, for sure. Than that, I, I mean, more that you can tell, you can tell some games two minutes in. That just, there's no energy to enough of the players that it, they're just not going to have a chance. And I don't think that's going to be the case as much this year. Uh, I think I think Monty has them prepared, uh, and I'm pretty pretty excited to watch the team. Any final thoughts? No, I was just going to say it's it's nice that uh, after all these years, we finally, at least for this portion so far of the season, get to watch meaningful games, and you know how bad the team has been when you can say game six of the season is a meaningful game. Yeah, it's really the, the positivity there, um, and I've always been a positive half, kind of half uh, full kind of guy anyway, um, but yeah, there's a lot to be, to like. Um, I was going to put it on the, kind of the post for this one is going to be, hey, casual Suns fans, the Suns are good again, the Suns are fun, why don't you come watch? Right. <laughs> um, so <laughs> thank watch, you so much. Listen. Yeah, Tim, why don't you put uh, put plug your stuff and plug your Twitter handle and we'll get out of here. Uh, solar panel uh, podcast, anywhere you listen to podcasts, we're on YouTube as well. Uh, you don't need to follow me personally. Just look up a uh, sun solar panel. 
Yes, definitely do that, everybody. Uh, my Twitter is at Eric underscore Sar, E-R-I-C underscore S-A-A-R. Um, come back here for lots of podcasts. We got guests all up and down the spectrum of all the writers. Uh, this is the last Sun one for a couple of weeks as I'm going to do some NBA type ones. There are obviously Suns talk on there, but we do, it's an NBA Suns podcast where we do both. So we'll probably do some NBA predictions as well as uh, the West standings. Um, which will look a little bit different than I thought they were going to do when I originally had the podcast scheduled for two weeks ago. So tune in for all that, uh, and thank you so much, Tim, for your time. Cool. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Happy to come back again if you'll ever have me, and just really appreciate not having to be the one that does the editing after. So, oh, yeah, well, that's super so much, fun. Eric. I really hope that it lets me do what I want to do with it and don't yeah. have any problems because I've done it all by myself for four years now. Um, have a great day, everybody, and ha- go watch the basketball. <laughs>